What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey everyone, Baseball America podcast, draft podcast. We've got Teddy Cahill, Carlos Colazzo, and I'm JJ Cooper. And today we are going to talk about the draft. There's a lot to talk about. We're going to keep it short though because we have a lot of reports to write too. We yeah. we're going to, we've got 500 and 500 ranking, which we continue to adjust, to tweak, and then we're going to have state list to go beyond that. But We've got a lot of writing to do because yeah. the draft's going to be here before we know it, Carlos. 17 days away. As we record on Friday, we've actually just released a updated mock draft. So if you haven't seen that, definitely check it out on the website. Uh, we've got some, some different players going to some different teams in the first round, hearing some rumors here and there. So you can get all of that information on the website as well. But, yeah, it is coming up on us very quickly, uh, and we're trying to cover it as accurately as we can, talk to scouts, write reports. But fun to take a little break and talk players. But before we dive in, we're going to talk a little bit about a couple other things. But we do the mock. We still have Casey Mize number one. Yeah. Not surprised there. But we have been hearing rumblings that, you know, the Tigers are looking at some other players. Uh, person Joey Bart, some Matthew Libertor rumblings, Carlos. Yeah, Al Avila is actually, I think he's watching, he's doubled up a couple of days with Georgia Tech to get looks at Joey Bart. Uh, we have Joey Bart mocked number two to the Giants who have been over him. He's, they've been all over him the whole year, but yeah, there are a few rumors. I think you could speak to this better than I could, JJ, probably. But at this point, it seems like well, no one we talk to, I'll say it like this, no one that we talk to thinks the Tigers are going anywhere but Mize, number one. I would put it this way: we have yet to talk to an upper level scouting director, for an office official, cross checker, who does not view Casey Mize as the top player in this draft. Yeah. Now, we're still far enough away, 17 days away. That doesn't mean 100% assured that Casey Mize is going to be the number one player taken. However, we wrote this in the mock. If you're the Tigers and you aren't going to go into your negotiation with Casey Mize by saying, hey, Casey, you're the guy, you're the clear number one, there's no one else we want but you, take all of our slot money, you have to create some negotiating leverage. How do you do that? You know, Casey, we could go in another direction. You know, we could we could take Joey Bart. We could take so and so. We could look at another and other ways. And if you were going to do that, this is the perfect time mm-hmm. to start laying that groundwork, which 
it's not like they're going there just to waste their time. The reality also is, is you have to have, if you are doing your due diligence. Exactly. And with Mize, one of the biggest things, and we, we touch on this all the time, and I feel like we need to, is the medical. Like, if something comes up with the medical, health pops up in the last few weeks here, he gets hurt, you do need to have a contingency plan. Obviously, you're picking first, so you have your choice of the board. Uh, but you have an entire scouting department who's been doing their work on all the players near the top. Uh, as well as further down for later picks, obviously. But, yes, obviously you can't go into it locked in on one player. It seems like more than anything this is just covering your bases, I would say. I don't I don't know if we have the information at this point to mock anyone other than Casey Mize, number one. So. Yeah, and so but the thing that we really wanted to talk about, this kind of springs from a we were having a, a conversation about the, the 500. We were going through our rankings mm-hmm. at all. And man, I wish we could just have had recorded it because it was a really good conversation <laughs> about it. But we'll try to recreate it here, which is is the question of high school right-handers, especially at the top of the draft. We've been talking about this a lot, but mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a key topic to talk about for this year's draft, Teddy, because this is a year that has a lot of high school right-handers. So we'll start with you. Okay, if you're drafting, which last I checked, you're not. You, <laughs> I am not. You're not. But if you were, if you were running a team, what would your viewpoint be? Like, and again, there's some part of this that's easy. That doesn't mean would you take a high school right-hander number one this year? No, you'd take Casey Mize. Or maybe, you know, in your case, maybe you'd take a, a you know. No, I officially flipped from center <laughs> to Mize. That, that's a thing that happened. Okay. But if... As we've gotten from front offices, as we've gotten from scouting directors, that there is a overall viewpoint that teams are leery of taking high school right-handers in the top 10, maybe even in the top 15, maybe even for a lot of teams in the top 20, 25. Where do you fall on that? Would you be you know, excited to take a high school right-hander when they're just slotted at their normal spot on the board, or would that be... Would you be leery? So I think, um, you know, I don't want to do it very high. Uh, but I don't want to differentiate between high school righties and lefties. I think high school lefties are just about as scary as the righties. And I know that the data that, you know, we've looked at throughout the spring has been mostly focused on the righties. And you can point to some elite lefties that have come out of high school, like Kershaw and Bumgarner. I think there are also a lot of lefties that don't pan out when you're drafting them in the top 10 either. And I think it's really more of a high school pitching discussion in general. Mm. So having said all of that, um, I'm not interested in Libertor at two. Um, Where would you be interested in Libertor? Uh, he's so hard. I don't know. Um, that, that, one's, that one's a total mess. But, you know, if, if you're looking... I, there's probably somewhere in the top 10 I'd take him. I don't know that I'd pull the trigger in the top five. Um, but I know that... It's probably right at five for me. Yeah, I mean, when, when we're looking at these righties <coughs> on the board and, and we're seeing, you know, Cole Stewart, Cole Wynn right around 10 and 11, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued there. I'm very intrigued by Rocker at 13. Uh, I think I'd be happy to pull the trigger on that because... And, and Hankins at uh, wherever he is now, 17. 17. Um, I, I think I'd be very happy to get those guys there because, I mean... Were people a little overheated on them in the summer? Yeah, that happens every single year that the the hot shot pitchers on the showcase circuit get run up because they go out and flash this incredible stuff in, in short stints at, at showcases, and then eventually they fall back. 
But I, I feel like that those guys, maybe we've gone too far on um, the industry it has anyway. And, um, you know, Kumar Rocker is this huge, physical, athletic pitcher that, um, I don't know, I'd be willing to take a shot on that. But I'm also not really trying to tie up my entire draft into that. So if we're, if we're talking about having to pay that guy $5 million, any of these, these high school pitchers, if we're talking about paying a high school pitcher Four to five million dollars, I, I become pretty leery, I would say. What about, what about you, Carl? What's fascinating to me about the high school pitcher situation, I know, JJ, you come from this from a, a unique uh, perspective, is the velocity question. Uh, there are a lot of guys here who have been showing big time velocity for a, a long time for, for their high school careers, at least, especially compared to most high school pitchers. But I know Kyle Glazer wrote about this in his story recently, at least touched on it. There, there does seem to be a concern about high school guys touching velos into the 97s and 98s as early as they are. Uh, I know you used to be a big-time velo guy, JJ. Yeah, it sounds no, like I'll still describe myself as a big-time yeah, velo guy. But, it yeah. sounds like you're a little more hesitant recently, and you can touch on that if you want. But some of the guys who are more pitchability arms who are starting to show that velo gain – and I think Carter Stewart might be the extreme example of this. Last summer, he was throwing in the upper 80s, low 90s, even in short short stints. He was going out there and throwing 88 regularly, touching a 91, 92 here or there. But he had that big curveball, and he had a pretty good feel for the zone. Another pitcher who's like this is Gunnar Hoagland. He walked two batters this year. He was always a very good strike-throwing guy, had a really good feel for the zone. And those guys this spring both started, started to show more velocity. Um... And we see that some of the, the high school pitchers that get taken in the second and third rounds turn out better than the guys who are taken in the top 15. And I wonder if it's just it's hard to, to figure out when these guys – the development of these guys seems to be so difficult to figure out within the industry. Um, and maybe throwing that hard earlier is a, is a red flag or a yellow flag. I'm not sure. You'd probably have to do a lot more science. I know there are probably studies out there that, that talk about it. We've talked with – We've talked with people before about all of this, but that's kind of my sense, uh, just how teams kind of value big-time velocity versus, I guess, a gradual increase with pitchability. And, no, I would say, and I don't want to be completely doctrinaire about it, but mm. I've been a guy who has been a couple years ago on the podcast, like, no, I'll take Riley Pine at the yeah. top of the draft because you're talking about exceptional velocity, he was showing a breaking ball, all that. Mm-hmm. And I've switched. I, I, I would say now... The biggest argument I would make, let's not not just track record, not just, but the biggest argument I would make of why I would probably be very leery of taking a high school right-hander, mm-hmm. anywhere probably in the top 20 picks, is that when we talk about the college bats at the top of the draft class, when we talk about the Joey Barts and the Alex Bones and the Jonathan Indias and the Nick Madrigals, the difference between those guys mm-hmm. And what I would term the back of the, the second tier, the back of the first round guys, yeah. the Steel Walkers. The Jake the, McCarthy's. Right. The difference between those, there's a pretty significant difference. Mm-hmm. We're talking about, I think there's it's obviously not going to be perfect. There will be guys who will be better than we think. There will be guys who will be worse than we think. But there's a pretty clear delineation mm-hmm. between those guys. When you talk about the college pitchers, again, not perfect, but when you talk about the Casey Mises and the, the Brady Singers, 
throw uh, Shane McClanahan, you know, Jackson Coar, those guys, mm-hmm. and the second tier of college pitchers, Sean Jelly, uh, you know, Tim Kate, mm-hmm. keep going. I mean, there, I think there's a pretty clear delineation there. Then you get to the the high school arms, the mm-hmm. high school right-handers especially. And you mentioned Gunnar Hogland. Mm-hmm. If you mention Gunnar Hogland, if you mention, go down deeper, Simeons, Woods, Richardson, go, you know, all these guys, J.T. Ginn. Mm-hmm. The difference between the top, what has been seen as the top tier, yeah. and those guys, and the difference between those guys even in the next tier of guys who you are really projecting. Yeah. I mean, because what really happens is is the guys who go at the top of the first round, the guys who go in the top 20 picks of the high school right-hander, understandably, there's you're not really projecting. Mm-hmm. The guys who've gone at the top of the first round in recent years in the draft, the high school right-handers, really what it is is, is guys who, if they just maintain their stuff, they're going to be excellent. But we've had a long line of guys in over the last decade taken high who Tyler Kolek's stuff when he gets on the mound, which he's had injuries, but when Tyler Kolek was on the mound pre-injury, his stuff in pro ball was not as good as it was in high school. Mm-hmm. Lucas Giolito was pitching in the big leagues with stuff that is not as good as it was when he was in high school. You can keep going down the line where when we talk about, like if you said which of these guys am I most comfortable with, it probably of these of these uh, high school pitchers at the top. It's probably Cole Wynn yeah. because Cole Wynn is, is really pitching. Yeah. So He's the only guy who it seems like the same pitcher every single time he goes out there. And again, these guys are 18 years old in mm-hmm. most cases. It's understandable they're not there yet. Yeah. But the, the difference between that guy and the guy who right, is seen by many as, a, you know, seen by the industry overall as a second-round pick, there's just such a small difference, and that's why... We have seen consistently, I think, that's, I think that's why we've seen that there is very little evidence, mm-hmm. there's actually counter-evidence, that taking a, a high school right-hander in the top 10 picks pays off mm-hmm. for you compared to taking one in the supplemental first round. Those guys have actually been, by war, better in yeah. this decade, or la- and like going back to the, the end of the last decade. So with that being the case, kind of what you said, Teddy, I don't want my draft to be based around one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Now, if I've got a supplemental first round pick, if you know, if I've got extra picks, I would love, be very happy to have a guy who is the second guy. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the what we saw with Sam Carlson last year. If you have a guy and you said he is, we hope he's gonna blow up, mm-hmm. but he's not, we're not basing our entire draft around it, hey, that's Mike Soroka has been a great success story, but that was Mike Soroka was part of that draft mm-hmm. for the Braves. Um, to me, I have much more comfort level with being part of a portfolio draft yeah. compared to, and again, this is an extreme example, and they're not probably going to take a high school right-hander by any stretch, but if you're the Phillies and you have a top pick, picking three, and then you don't pick again for over 100 more picks... <laughs> I don't want a high school right hand. Yeah, 107 is their second pick. I don't pick. want it. I, I, you know, and so I think that, you know, like you said it, Teddy, I think that's a good point. If I'm a team like the Rays or I'm a team like the Royals, and 
By the way, one of the things that we have seen that's not really been true is the other approach that sometimes works out is the portfolio approach, mm-hmm. where you say, we're going to take three of these guys, two of these guys, and we're hoping that, you know, because we've taken more, that one of them or two of them will work out. And it can happen. Mm-hmm. But you also can end up saying you spent a whole lot of money and you ended up not getting much of anything out of it. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to a portfolio approach where one of the pieces of that portfolio is a college bag <clears throat> or a college arm that maybe even a little bit less impact yeah. but is going to make it to the big leagues. I mean, the Royals are probably a pretty good example of that. Look at their 2015 draft and the high school right-handers they took there. You have Ash Russell taking 21 and Nolan Watson taking 33. I mean... They're going to go over two on that. <laughs> exactly. Like, I mean, unless something surprising happens. That's yeah. Russell, you know, has stepped away. He's back and extended now, but he stepped away. So, he has, like, less than, I think, 10 innings, you know, tw- less than 40 innings of pro ball. So I think this Nolan is... Watson has, just for people who do not know, yeah. Nolan Watson has a, an ERA above seven as a pro. Yeah. So for this draft specifically and how it's going to play out, I think that's where it's going to be fascinating is with the teams like the Rays and the Royals, where they're picking... 16, 18, and then into the 30s. Every single time they pick, there should be a very talented prep pitcher on the board that they can take, and they can take where their value is in the industry. Whether they do that or not is going to be interesting. They have the money to maybe take one guy and then take a couple bats, but it hasn't worked out for the Royals in recent history when they've taken these guys. So whether or not they adjust this year, I guess we'll see. But it's, it's I guess my question is, at where do you draw the line where you see a guy, a, a pitcher who slips because the risk factor, at what point do they get too low where you're like, okay, we have to now. Like We think this is the best player available on the board. There's always been an advantage of if the industry is going in one direction yeah. and you go in the other, then there's some advantage to that. When If you look back when mm-hmm. the point where everyone went college, 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 heavy post-moneyball, there was what that one of the things that meant was is that there were high school pitchers and high school bats, especially mm-hmm. bats who were available later on than they, you know, than they normally would have been. Yeah. And there was advantage to be had with that. But uh, again, I mean, and I kind of would love to, you know, what you think on this day. Like the, the thing to me is, is yes, there are guys who buy really, it comes down to the question of the evaluation. Mm-hmm. I think that's it entirely. You just have to trust your evaluation. Like I, I look back to the 2015 Florida, uh, prep class when you look at that you had i think it was four uh florida high schoolers taken within four four florida high school pitchers taken within like 30 picks of each other which year which year is 2015 so you're looking you're looking at jake woodford being the first one off the board to the cardinals at i think it was 35th overall that has gone kind of okay he's in double a with a 481 era this year the next one off the board i believe is brady singer uh, or no, the next one off the board is Tristan McKenzie. That's worked out great for the Indians. Mm-hmm. He's not playing yet this year because of injury, but uh, to this point, that's been outstanding. The next one is Brady Singer, unsigned, but now looks like a top, top five evaluation. Pick. Yeah, and then Juan Hillman going back to the Indians, um, and that hasn't worked out hardly at all for them. So just within and, and those four guys trying to line them up that spring was impossible for just about everyone. And Woodford wound up being the highest rated on the 500. He went out first, and that's wound up being wrong. And 
everyone was wrapped up in how much can Tristan McKenzie, like, what weight can he put on? Is he too frail? The answer is it's not much. (laughs) Is he too frail to be a starter? And these are questions that he's still battling today. But, you know, to this point, it's been a success. And is Brady Sanders' arm action a problem? Again, still questions that he's battling to this day, but pretty good. (laughs) hasn't been a problem, really. And Actually, what's interesting with Singer, I was looking at this the other day, is if you look at his strikeout-to-walk ratio and you split it versus righties and lefties, I think the big concern with that lower arm slot is what's going to happen against left-handers, pick it up early without maybe a change-up that they've seen much. He's striking out left-handers at a higher rate than he is right-handers this year, and the numbers are pretty much right in line before his start tonight. So, I mean, so when you're looking at these guys, it's just a matter of getting the evaluation rate. Right? Because these aren't guys that were you know top, top guys. Mm-hmm. There were better pitchers in that class from the high school side. Uh, you know, I'm not talking about a Cole Stewart, who the Twins based their entire 2013 draft around and have gotten nothing from as a result. But, like, and Cole Stewart's example of this, though, is that Cole Stewart, again, you, both ways you can get screwed up. You can, in picking high school pitcher, you get messed up. Cole Stewart, athletic, with really good stuff at the time. But the idea was is you have this two-sport guy who focuses on baseball as he matures. The stuff's going to get even better. There's some feel for pitching. And he's shown some feel for pitching. His stuff has just been pretty vanilla ever since he was drafted. And so I don't want to make it sound like also, you know, when we talk about some of these guys, Nolan Watson, by what we're describing, as like, you know what, now we've gone too far on the radar gun, so we also need to back up and go to the guys who can pitch. Nolan Watson fit that description. You know, we have guys who, Jack Flaherty fit that description, and then he took three steps forward, and you see where he is. But we've also had guys... That is the concern of drafting a guy, you know, and paying him a lot of money and saying, well, you know, when he gets that extra three miles an hour he's going to get, then it's really going to be something. Well, sometimes they don't get three miles an hour, and you're saying, how are you going to pitch with a below-average fastball? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't don't have answers for how to improve your evaluation. I can't do it. (laughs) I I don't know how to do it. But, like, to me, that's the issue here. Um, Even there's clearly some sort of issue at the top end in terms of the relationships between present velocity when you're 17 and 18 and what you are when you're 22, there's something there. But even once you get beyond that, and we stop talking about the guys that are throwing 98, mm-hmm. there's still an issue that we don't know how you know guys mature and develop in pro ball or in college or whatever when, when they're going from 18 to 21 and, and going through a lot of change. We, we don't know how that how that affects things and I you just have to be confident in what you're doing when you're taking these guys because you also I don't think can afford to sit out high school pitchers until the third round when you can start paying them under a million dollars which let's just the the other thing about it when we say that you know because when we talk about the, the the top of this the difference between the guy we have ranked 15th among the high school pitch, you know, on the BA 500, mm-hmm. and 90th is smaller for that than it is for the college yeah. hitters, the college pitchers. All that's true. The other part of this, though, is is that college, high school pitchers that is an expensive portion yes. of the demo, uh, of yes. the draft. When you say like, yeah, you can get guys after the, you can get guys after the third round, mm-hmm. but a lot of these guys you can't. 
Yeah, yeah, and especially this year, every every pitcher in this class, every high school pitcher knows how deep the class is. They're not oblivious to that fact. Uh, there are going to be guys like I think Slade Jaconi is a very interesting one. He hasn't pitched much this spring, but on talent, he's he's every bit as talented as some of these guys we talk about in the high end. Again, this is an example of going deeper into our list and finding a guy who has the stuff and talent that seems to match up with these top-tier guys. But you, you almost think with this year, with so many arms to pick from, the guys who aren't going to go where they feel like they need to be picked on talent can go to school and come back in a few years when maybe the class isn't as deep to this extent and also get some more track record in college and, and you have less of these questions. And the other thing, Teddy, you can speak to this. The, co- the high school pitchers that we're talking about, even compared to a high school bat, not that there aren't high school bats who's going to cost you a lot of money to keep them because they're really a strong commit, but the high school pitchers are the ones who are going to get the biggest – the generally are going to get the biggest scholarship. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot more money to be had everywhere involved in, in baseball for pitching, it feels like, whether we're talking about Division One scholarships or free but agency. D, but D1 scholarships, you are talking about if you are a really good hitter, you're generally getting a smaller portion of a... Yes, by and large, you are more likely to get a larger scholarship as a pitcher because it's harder to acquire high-end pitching. I now, guess. you've got to then keep producing to yes. continue to get that. But if you're going to get a full rider close to it, it's generally going to be the guys who end up being the, the you know the future Friday starters. I mean, that's the... Yeah, and I mean, so there are guys here at the... I've been saying this for six months now, probably longer than that, that there are guys... There are too many high school pitchers in this class, even if we weren't having this reaction to high school pitching that we seem to be having this spring... There are too many of them. They can't all get paid the way mm-hmm. that they probably were thinking or that they're, they're valuing themselves at. So either they're going to take slightly reduced bonuses uh, or they're going to end up on campus. And some of these guys are going to get through to college. And some, some programs are going to be very happy with the way their, their team looks in the middle of July once we get past the, the signing deadline. And especially when you talk about when we get to the second tier and then call it a third tier, if you want, of these high school arms. And you'll, we'll be talking to scouts, and they'll say, oh, yeah, this guy's going to, you know, probably in three years, I wouldn't be shocked at all if he's a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. And they know it. But that's not the same, because what we talk about, if you're talking about a guy who's really raw right now, or his stuff needs, you know, you expect that he's going to fill out and he's going to add three to four or five miles an hour over the mm-hmm. next three years. There's a difference between saying, I think that's going to happen, and paying that guy one, one and a half million, and to go spend the next two years in the complex. Mm-hmm. Those are two very different things. And so, you know, we, we see a, a, a never ending pipeline of upper Midwest pitchers who end up going to the SEC, to the ACC, some too, but who leave basically the upper Midwest to go play. And then three years later, we go, oh, look, what, you know, that guy's, you know, in the first round. I don't see that stopping because it's a one thing to say this guy could end up doing that. And some of them do and some of them don't. But, you know, for every A.J. Puck, who that's the exact trajectory, mm-hmm. there's also the, you know, again, there's the Justin Hoopers of the world who three years later, it, it didn't come together that way. Yeah, I mean, Justin Hooper, obviously a NorCal kid, not a but yes, I mean, it, he, he was a dude out of high school yes. who's less of a dude three years later. Yes, I mean, Bryce Montes de Oca, um, you know, is 
maybe a, a classic example of this, that I believe he was like 54 on the 500 coming out of high school. Um, and here we are four years later, and there's still something there, but it hasn't all come together. And, um, you know, so when, when people talk about, you know, what, what path is right, you know, there is no right path here. There, I, I feel like a lot of the value of drafting college arms just comes from the fact that they've had three years to improve. You've had three years to watch them whether they're they're going to break down, whether they're going to melt under the pressure. Yeah, you're projecting a lot less of that. There's point. yeah, there's just less projection. There's a lot more known, and that's why uh, you know they, they rise, and I that's why then so many of them go on and continue to have success in pro ball is because they're just that much more polished. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so it's going to be fascinating to watch. Yes. You know, it really is. We can dive into this a lot more. I think we... uh, it'll still be safe to say that there will be more high school right-handers taken in the first round this year than there were last year when only two were selected. But it will be interesting to see uh, how it actually falls out this year in the draft. But we're, we're not going to cut it there because I promise we're going to keep this short. We've all got to write uh, reports. But, uh, but I do want to remind you it is a great time to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com. Just go to BaseballAmerica.com right at the top. Click the uh, join now, and you got a variety of options there, as low as five fifty per month, and you can get all the uh, rankings, all of the reports, and we keep filling out. By the way, uh, thanks to uh, our awesome interns, we uh, we can now say that you can look back at the draft database, our new and our new and improved draft database, and see reports going back to nineteen eighty two. Yeah. So the top pick and the top players in those first rounds. Now, I will preface this. Don't want to oversell this. <laughs> the reports in the 80s were not as in-depth as they are now. Um, Which is understandable because literally, like, the, just the process of acquiring that information was amazing. is so, so mind-blowing. <laughs> was it, yes, yes. To put together who was the top guys in, when Alan Simpson and all were doing this in 1982, when it, people were like, wait, you're covering the draft? I mean, that <laughs> didn't exist before. Yeah. Like, wait, no, people don't cover this. But you know, but yes, you can read a King Griffey Jr. report. You can read, you can read in, 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 in how A. Rod was literally the perfect prospect. And I really do look back at it and I go, you know, still to this day, if you said who checked every box and for a draft to be a one-one, A. Rod was the guy. You know, for whatever had happened since, it's really hard to think of someone you know who was considered a middle of the order bat with power. And uh, you know, hitting ability and speed, and was going to stay at shortstop <laughs> with an arm. We, we just you just don't see that. But uh, but so go dive into that baseballamerica.com. We will uh, be back again next week to talk some more drafts, talk more prospects. But for Carlos, for Teddy, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.